You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A.com. Let's turn to the Lord's Word to us today. Uh, uh, If you've been with us, uh, you know we've been moving through uh, in the last number of months, the, the New Testament book called The Acts of the Apostles. If, this, if you're the first time here, it's okay. Every, every sermon stands alone. Uh, the, the book, The Acts of the Apostles, is our primary source material uh, on the church in, in its earliest years in the first century. If you want to know what you know, what, what did the earliest church look like? What did the earliest church do? What were their practices and things? This, Acts, the book of Acts is where you go, has a lot to tell us, a lot of lessons for us from the first century into the 21st century. Today we're going to look at a text that is often skipped over uh, because it's not one of those exciting, dramatic text. There's lots of exciting and dramatic things going on in Acts. This, is, this, this text isn't one of them. Uh, but as, as I considered it, I thought, you know, this, this, this tells us some things that we need to, we need to hear. Uh, so it's Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 24, and then going through uh, Acts chapter 19, verse 10. It's printed for you in the bulletin. Um, if you're able, and I know some of you aren't, but if you're able, would you please stand uh, for the reading of God's Word? Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he, was powerfully, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when, the, when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. 
This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray as we begin. Father, as we turn now to your word for us, may the Spirit rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as as James uh, just mentioned, in the space of a couple of days last week, our denomination, which is the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA, uh, lost two influential pastors. The first, Harry Reeder. Harry was the senior pastor of one of the largest congregations in the PCA, Briarwood Presbyterian Church, affectionately called Briar World for its size. Uh, Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Wonderful man, wonderful pastor and preacher was killed in a car accident. Uh, And then uh, Tim Keller, the retired founder and senior pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in in New York City, Uh, author of many excellent books, many of which you guys have read, uh, died of pancreatic cancer after a three-year struggle with it. And you know, as influential as these two men were, and I profited personally from both of them, uh, it is helpful to remember that at times like this, when, you, when one is tempted to think, what's the church going to do without, without those men? It, it, it is, it's, it's helpful to remember that the lion's share of the work of Jesus' kingdom is not done by the big name guys. The church does not advance primarily through its celebrities. It's done by you. Just you and me. Average people. God loves doing his work through the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the dead. And the greatness of God, our God, the greatness of our God that we have been singing about today uh, is is really demonstrated, it seems to me, most in his heart for the ungreat. God was so great that that he became the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the dead for you and for me. That's real greatness. That's gospel greatness. So this text that we read, although it involves Paul, of course, uh, mostly involves average people. Right, people without big names, without a lot of recognition or fame or influence, precisely the people that God uses to grow His kingdom on earth. And and as I read these two uh, these two accounts, you know, right together, this account about Apollos and and the account of these twelve disciples in Ephesus, um, I see. I saw, I I apologize, five encouraging principles. Not not three. Sorry, tried. Uh, 
but because I saw five, I will whip through four of them very quickly. And, and I want to camp just a bit on the last one, okay? Um, so here we go. Principle number one. God doesn't just use theologically trained people. He uses all people. And that's a really good reminder for our church, right? Because uh, we live in a seminary town. And, and uh, we have close connections to a wonderful seminary. And we have seminary professors here. And we have seminary students here. And it, and it might be easy for you to think that if you're going to do ministry here, you know, you need to be seminary trained. I mean, what can, you know, what, what can I do with all of these seminary people around? Listen, if you're thinking that way, I want you to know that's not true. That's not true at all. Apollos was one of those lesser known people I was talking about, right? Now, he was theologically ed- educated. It says he was instructed in the way of the Lord, verse 25. Uh, he was from Alexandria, that's in Egypt, one of the great uh, centers of learning in the ancient world. It had the greatest, the world's greatest library uh, was in Alexandria. And yet, right, for all of his training, Apollos still needed teaching, didn't he? And who taught him? Well, a couple of tent makers from Rome. Right? They had been cast out of Rome. Remember, we, we met them last week, Priscilla and Aquila, this husband and wife team who owned a, and operated a tent-making business, probably employed Paul, uh, at least worked with Paul, Uh, because Paul was also a tent maker. They had been cast out of Rome by by the emperor uh, when all the Jews were expelled. And um, now they were in Ephesus. And so these tent makers, Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, they explained to Apollos, verse 26, the way of God more accurately. You know, one of the reasons... I do the Q and A. Uh, our sound guy today, Mark, Mark, uh, asked me if we were to do stump the chump today, because <laughs> that's what it is. It is it's stump the chump. Uh, the, one of the reasons I do it is precisely because that's what you do, right? It's it's a forum where you you can and do teach me. Um, you know, over the years, I have been blessed and my faith has, has really grown uh, and been deepened by your insights into Scripture that I didn't see, that I didn't know, uh, and your stories of how God's grace has worked uh, in your lives. I, I quote this often in, when I pray at the Q&A, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, as iron sharpens iron. Uh, so one person sharpens another. Friends, God doesn't just use theologically trained people. He uses all of us, okay? Principle number two. It's, it's related, but getting a little more precise. God uses women in important ways in his church, right? 
Whenever Priscilla and Aquila uh, are mentioned in the book of Acts, generally Priscilla is mentioned first. And that, that is a convention that Luke used, is, used that, prob- that most likely indicated that of the two, Priscilla was the, mo- the more upfront. She was the, the more involved, probably the more influential. And look what she's doing. Right? She's teaching the teacher. Priscilla and her husband are teaching the teacher. You know, the the biblical data on the role of women in the church does not just point in one direction. You know, those people who who uh, who camp on you know one passage and and you know harps on the fact that women should be silent in the church have not have not digested all of the biblical data about women in the church, right? That data is nuanced and it clearly encourages women in in certain contexts to use their gifts for the benefit of women and men in the church. We see Priscilla here teaching the teacher. Uh, In Romans 16, uh, Paul commends another woman, Phoebe, who is recognized as as a key servant in the church in Sancrie. So, listen friends, there is no room in the church of Jesus Christ for Neanderthal put-downs of women, right? We are all one in Christ Jesus. God uses women in important ways in his church. Principle three, respect, humility, and encouragement should mark the way Christians relate to one another. Boy, this is a this is a timely word, isn't it? Because you know we're in a, we're in a culture now where we all seem to be kind of devolving to the lowest common denominator, uh, and, and there is a distinct lack of respect and humility and encouragement, just generally, right? And even among Christians, when we disagree with someone today, uh, it, it is it, there's an increasing impl- in inclination to simply right off the bat go public with it. Right? Don't talk to the person you disagree with. Tweet about him. Right? Shoot out a tweet proclaiming what an idiot your professor is, or your pastor is, or your, you know your favorite politician of the day is, or even your friend is, or at least he was your friend until you send out that tweet. We tend to talk about our disagreements with people, with everybody else, but the person we disagree with. And that's disrespect. That's disrespecting the person you disagree with. And it's exactly not what Priscilla and Aquila did, right? Uh, When they were listening to Apollos teach and they picked up some error in his teaching, some lack in his knowledge, uh, what did they do? Well, they didn't have tweets, but uh, what did they do? Verse 26, they took him aside. It says they took him. The idea is they took him aside, right? They took him aside and explained to him more accurately. Uh, the way of God. See, they respected Apollos enough to talk to him face-to-face and to talk to him privately, right? That's respect. 
And, and that's, that's really how we should be as brothers and sisters in Christ relating to one another with that kind uh, of respect. Because right? I know there are things that I need to be taken aside for. So please take me aside. Don't tweet about me. Um, so that's the respect. Where's the humility? Well, you see humility both in Priscilla and Aquila and in Apollos, right? It, because in, in Priscilla and Aquila, think about it. I mean, this would have been an occasion for Priscilla and Aquila to really grandstand, wouldn't it? Right? Here they knew something that the, this brilliant Apollos didn't know. They could have stood up uh, and, and, uh, and grandstanded, right? Show up the teacher, show everybody in the church in Ephesus how brilliant uh, they were, but they didn't do that, right? Everything they did was behind the scenes. And, and Apollos, to his credit, right? Think about Apollos. Educated in Alexandria, competent, eloquent, Right? And these tent makers come and tell him what, what's for, you know? And, and he didn't say, right? Who are you? Who are you, a couple of redneck tent makers, to be telling me that I'm wrong? You know, where are you, what are your qualifications, right? Don't get a word of that. Don't get a hint of that. In fact, we know that's not what Apollos did. He heard them out. He made the corrections and he was the better for it, right? He went on to greatly help those believers in Corinth because of the way he had been helped by Priscilla uh, and, and Aquila. Humility, humility. Priscilla and Aquila did not make it about themselves. Apollos did not make it about himself. They were making it about Jesus. So that's respect and humility, encouragement. And of course, you see the encouragement in verse 27. It says, Apollos wanted to go to Achaia. Achaia is the region in Greece where Corinth was. That's where he wanted to go, Corinth specifically. Uh, and, uh, and his brothers and sisters in Ephesus said, yeah, absolutely, go there. You'd be great there. You, you, you'll, you'd be a big help there. Paul's not there now. They'd be great to have you there. And not only did they personally encourage him, they wrote letters of recommendation for him ahead to Corinth. Right? That kind of encouragement takes time, it takes attention, it takes effort. But they did it, right? And it's the kind of thing that we must do, again, as brothers and sisters with one another, okay? So respect, humility, and encouragement should mark the way Christians relate to one another. Principle four. You see, I'm moving pretty fast, right? <laughs> Amen. What? <laughs> Principle four. You plant, you water, but God causes the growth. All through the book of Acts, you know, Luke is, vi is a very careful writer. He's a very careful historian and a very careful writer. And, and he drops reminders all through Acts uh, the, uh, 
reminders telling us, reminding us that getting people into a relationship with God is God's business. It's not yours. It's God's work, not yours. Look at verse 27, right? He's talking about uh, Apollos wanting to go uh, to Achaia. Um, and, um, and it says, uh, when he arrived... It could have said, right? Paul could have, or I mean, Luke could have simply written, when he arrived in Corinth, he greatly helped the Christians there. That would have been the, you know, the simple, easy way the, the, to, to write it, but that's not what he did. He took more words to say something, right? He said, when he arrived, when Apollos arrived in Corinth, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. He's just reminding you there that if a person is going to believe in Jesus and submit to Jesus as her Savior and Lord, that takes a work of grace in her heart and in her mind. And that is something only God can do. Paul kind of picks up on this, really what, what, we're like farmers, right? And Paul liked that farming analogy. Jesus did too. But we're, we're like farmers, really, right? We sow the seeds, we water the seeds, but what happens underground is God's work, right? What happens in the heart of the people you talk to is God's work. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, you know, it's, yeah, it's fascinating, right? There, Apollos goes to Corinth right here. Paul's not there. Paul, Paul had planted the Corinthian church. Now Apollos is there. Now Apollos is, is preaching. And all of a sudden, divisions break out in the church, right? And, and we know that from Paul's first letter back to that church. And what, what kind of divisions? Well, some of them are saying, well, I'm a Paul man. Right? No, I'm an Apollos Guy. I'm all for Apollos. I'm all for Paul. And then the, then the real jerks go, oh, I'm for Jesus. <laughs> and, and Paul is going, what are you guys doing? And he said, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos watered, but only God, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You see how this takes the pressure off? It's, it's freeing, isn't it? To, be, to not be the Holy Spirit. You're not the Holy Spirit. And, and we're just workers in God's field, right? We're freed from thinking that, w- that we have to do something that we don't even have the ability to do, right? And that's, and that's cause a heart to turn to Jesus, right? We don't, that, that result is God's work. So what, that frees us up to now we can just you know, joyfully tell people about Jesus. We can, we can boldly invite them to come along with us to, to, to church. We can fearlessly offer to sit down with them, have coffee and, for a few weeks and read the Gospel of John together. Whatever, right? 
and just watch what God will do. It's how the church grew. You plant, you water, but God causes the growth, friends. Remember that. And finally here, principle number five, and I want to just spend a little more time on this one. As a believer in Jesus, you live and you work in both the power and the presence of the personal God. As a believer in Jesus, you live and work in both the power and the presence of the personal God. Now, up to this point, right, we haven't talked about these Ephesian guys, these 12 uh, men in Ephesus that Paul confronts. Uh, They're called disciples, but... um, It seems to me one of the reasons why Luke constructed his account the way he did, that is telling us about Apollos, and then right next to that putting this account of Paul confronting these Ephesian disciples, why he put them back to back is that there's something both of these accounts have in common. There's something both Apollos and these 12 men in Ephesus have in common, and it is that they had only experienced the baptism of John the Baptist. Did you catch that? Right. Oh, oh, they had only known the baptism uh, of John. Now, it'd be very easy to get into the weeds here. I spent uh, a couple of weeks reading the commentaries and articles about these two passages, and, because, and there's a, so much scholarly debate about, you know, just who these, are, are these Ephesian, 12 Ephesian men, are they disciples of John the Baptist? And, and they're not Christians at all? Or are they, in fact, disciples of Jesus, but just very ill-informed, right? Very, with very incomplete knowledge. But, and there's, there's, you know, there's evidence about, normally you wouldn't call them disciples, if they meant disciples of John. That usually means disciples of Jesus. And and it mentions belief that they had believed. Uh, What what did they believe? Well, probably in Jesus. I I don't, you know, and what, so what, you know, what was, what was the problem in, it's more obvious with the Ephesian 12, what their problem was as as it is in, um, with Apollos. Uh, But, but Luke makes certain we know that only he had he had only received the baptism of John and and so if to cut through all of this the weeds i think one thing we can say with with some certainty is that what this means is that both apollos and these 12 ephesian disciples had must have had uh, an inadequate understanding of the place of the holy spirit in a believer's life, right? Remember, John, uh, as, as he said, right, only baptized with water, right? He, his, um, he says, I baptize with water, uh, but the Messiah who's coming, uh, who you need to follow and who you need to believe in, and he identified that Messiah as Jesus. There he is, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I only baptize you with water. 
It seems like Apollos and these Ephesian disciples probably didn't have a full grasp on just what believers have when they have the Holy Spirit. And the fact that that believers do have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit of God on you and in you. You've received the Holy Spirit, believers. So what is that? What difference does he make uh, in your life? Well, we could talk about that for a long time. Let me, in closing, point to three things, three differences that the Holy Spirit makes in your life as a Christian, okay? First, it means that it means that your salvation is not just a historical act, it's an ongoing relationship. You know, we talk a lot about history here. And that's, it's good and right that we should do so. Because Christianity is historical. Right? It depends, it's about and depends upon real people doing real things in real time. And what Jesus did is come on a mission, a divine mission, to accomplish what you could not do for yourself. To live up to God's law, to pay the legal penalty for your failure to do so, right? And that legal penalty was death. And to be raised from the dead as proof that, you, that his, his work, his performance of the law and his death was effective so that if you believe in him, if you trust in him, you too will be raised from the dead like Jesus. All of that's true. And all of that, you know, happened at a point in time in history. But Jesus, here's the point, Jesus didn't do all of that and now is requiring you to to do your part as a Christian under your own power. To do it on your own, under your own power. Okay, I saved you, now go. You're on your own. Get to it, get busy. Uh, That would be a tragic and truncated view of one, what, of what Jesus accomplished for you, and two, it's an, overestim- it's an overestimation of your abilities and your powers. Right. That kind of misunderstanding that the Christian life now, friends, is all on you, and, and be honest with yourself, don't we often live like it is? Think like it's all on us. Uh, if, if, if you have that kind of misunderstanding, it leads to a bunch of things. It leads to arrogance when you're doing well, right? You start looking down on people who aren't doing as well as you are on your scale. It leads to despair if you're one of those who's not doing so well. In both cases, it leads to burnout eventually. And people just throw, throw off, uh, off the faith. Um, listen, part of God's salvation promise in the always, through it, consistently, through the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's always there. And w- now that I've mentioned it to it, you will, you, you'll see it everywhere. It's, it's, is, is the promise, part of salvation is, is his promise, God's promise, that, that you would be with him and he would be with you. It's all about his presence. Right? 
Jesus didn't go to the cross, rise from the dead, ascend to heaven to leave you on your own. He did all of that to be with you so that you would know him, that you would be in a relationship with him, so that you would have access, uninterrupted access to him anytime you want. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, right? It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Isn't that amazing? So it seems like when we're living the Christian life that it's us living it, it's us doing it. But listen, what you decide to do, what you do, how you do it, is a working out of God working in you. You're working... Is, is God working in you? You know, your head will explode when you try to figure out that. You know, where does God's work stop and start? Where does my work stop and start? It doesn't. It's, it's mysterious, but it is God who is willing and working in you. Right? It's invisible. You don't feel it. But it's, he's there, the Spirit is with you, leading, guiding, warning, convicting, empowering, rebuking, grieving over your failings, celebrating your small victories. Out of um, some frustration this week, I spoke, I said some things to some brothers here in a tone and with words that I regretted. Some of you are saying, shocking. You, Ted? Um, You know, after I did that, the Holy Spirit convicted me that I was wrong. And, um, but you know what he else used to do? If I used to get so um, down on myself about that. Um, And I still do, but I fight back at it now, right? I kick myself all the way home, right? What kind of a moral failure are you? Who do you think you are? You know, as a pastor, talking to people like that, right? And then the Holy Spirit reminds me whose I am. Reminds me that I'm a child of God. Reminds me that I'm loved by God. Reminds me that I'm going to have these failures, but he loves me anyway. You know, um, that gives me the strength to go on. It gives me the strength to bury the, that, all that negative self-talk. Um, it gives me uh, the ability to, to, uh, to go and, 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 and apologize. Um, so that's the first thing, right? It's... It, Having the Holy Spirit means that salvation, your salvation, isn't just something that happened in the past when you made a profession or when Jesus died on the cross. It is, it is your salvation is an ongoing relationship by, by via the Holy Spirit, okay? Second difference, the fact that you have the Holy Spirit means that you don't have to be afraid anymore. Um, I've, uh, we, we've already mentioned Tim Keller. Um, t- 
Tim's son, one of Tim's sons tweeted out uh, after his dad died that they, they take comfort in some of his last words. And those last words that he quoted from Tim as he was dying was, there is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. There is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. Um, You know, how do you face death with that kind of confidence and with that kind of fearlessness? Um, You you do it because you know that God is with you uh, and goes with you. You know, we think... You know, there are things we do alone. I, I've talked to many of you, um, and, and I, 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 I had a small experience of it this last week in a very minor way. I, I just had a procedure done which required general anesthesia, which is always a little bit, at least for me, nervous time, right? They always, they take your blood pressure and go, wow, your blood pressure's high. I go, well, yeah, I, I'm in a hospital. What do you think? You're going to put me under. I don't know if I'm going to come back out. Of course my blood pressure's high. Um, but, you know, there were, there's times as I'm waiting for that procedure. Right? I'm in a busy hospital, but I'm alone. And uh, lying on, on, on that bed. And, and, you know, there are certain things that you do, ultimately, even if people are with you, you face alone, right? And, and this... Is uh, was one of those things, and and it, it, when the moment when you think I'm facing this alone, as a Christian, all of a sudden you realize you're not alone. I mean, and you really realize it, right? That 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 uh, you, you discover that you really aren't alone. That the Lord is with you in a very real way that you can feel and th- that brings comfort and brings rest and brings peace and casts out fear. I experienced that. You tell me in much more dire circumstances that the same thing has happened to you as you're going into life-saving surgery. As you're lying there facing that alone, the Lord comes to you. That's the Holy Spirit. And casts out fear. Presence. The presence of God casts out our our fear. I'm re- I, in, um, in my own devotions, I'm going through book five of the Psalms, uh, and I came across Psalm 112, and, and it has just a, 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 a phrase that just kind of jumped out at me because it sounded so contemporary. Uh, it's Psalm 112 is a description of, of a believer, a description of a person who is invested with the Holy Spirit. It's a description of you. And, and it says... Uh, in one place in Psalm 112, he is not afraid of bad news. I go, wow. You know, I think so often I'm, I'm, I'm running around afraid even before the bad news shows up. Right? Afraid that there will be bad news. Not afraid of. He is not afraid of bad news. Why? Why isn't he afraid? Because he's trusting the Lord and the Lord is with him. Right? Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. We talked about that last week. The presence, presence of God casts out fear. And that's the Holy Spirit. Um, finally, third 
And finally, and we'll close with this, the fact that you have the Holy Spirit means that the Christian life is not just waiting for God's future reality. It's participating in that future reality right now. Kids, think about this. Parents, think about this. We've all been on uh, road trips. You're probably planning road trips this summer. Maybe you're going to drive to your grandparents' house. And you're getting in the car and you're sitting in the back seat of the car and you've driven as far as, I don't know, El Norte Parkway. And you start asking your mom and dad, what are you asking? When are we going to get there? Right? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you know, a lot of people think that's, a mo- that's kind of the metaphor for the Christian faith, that, we're, that, the, that Christians are always about the future. It's all about pie in the sky and the by and by, right? We're, we're, it's all, all just future. Well, that's not true. I mean, if, if, you know, change up the metaphor a little bit. You're driving to gran- your grandma and grandpa's house, but grandma and grandpa are in the car with you. Yeah, you're going to be with them in their home, but they're with you now in the car. That makes for a much more fun ride, right? That's, Paul talks about, in Ephesians, talks about the Holy Spirit being a down payment. Uh, a, a down payment, current down payment on the future that he has for you. And the Greek word, the g- biblical Greek word, ancient Greek word that's translated down payment or guarantee in the Bible is, is now a modern Greek word, same, same word, but in modern Greek, it means engagement ring. Isn't that interesting? Uh, so, and you can see the connection, right? Uh, an engagement ring, what, think about what that is. It's, it's a tangible sign in the present of something that is certainly going to happen in the future. And that's what you have. You have the Holy Spirit, right? Right now. The future believer has already begun for you in your life right now because the Holy Spirit is in you. you don't, we're not waiting till the end day. He's with you now. And what that means is, quoting a, uh, one, one scholar, he said this, that means that your own human self, your personality, your body is being reclaimed so that instead of being simply part of the old creation, a place of sorrow and injustice and ultimately uh, the shame of death itself. You are now both part of the new creation in advance and someone through whom the new creation begins to happen here and now. You're part of the future now and you're God's agent bringing the future in as you live and work where God has you. Whether you're a when a kid in school, whether you're at the office, whether you're at, at home raising the kids and doing the household chores, it, we, as we do that in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, God is allowing us to reclaim His creation for Him. Right? What a great and exciting privilege. So it's my prayer, friends, that you my brothers and sisters would know both the holy awesomeness of God and the close intimacy of God as the Holy Spirit goes with you wherever you go. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, Apollos and for Priscilla and Aquila and for Luke telling their story. 
for the fact that guys like Apollos don't understand everything and the fact that these Ephesian believers were all messed up and had incomplete understanding and yet you came to them and made sure that they were saved. Lord, thank you that you go with us, that you are our guarantee of our future. Thank you that you've given us that down payment of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.